Hey everyone, it's Joel. Before we get started on this episode, I wanted to give a backdrop for it, which uh, uh, I'll probably be doing for the few of the first episodes this season. Um, this interview was kind of impromptu. Uh, one of my good friends, uh, Ty, shout out Ty from Pittsburgh. Uh, his dad has been in the news and broadcasting business for a while. And uh, outside of doing the Moonlighters Club, I do uh, another podcast called Steel Talking. Uh, that Ty put together, where we just talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers. We're diehard Steelers fans because we love losing. So uh, Ty's dad saw us doing the Steelers podcast, and he saw what I was doing with the Moonlighters Club podcast, and he uh, wanted to just talk about it. So before this interview, I actually thought we were going to meet just to talk about podcasting and broadcasting. I didn't know he was setting up for an interview. So I actually had to rush on a Zoom call get my microphone, and then just run with this interview. So you'll notice it will end somewhat abruptly because uh, he actually had to get off prior to being over, and I just was not prepared. But I'm always down for an interview and a conversation about entrepreneurship, work, and life and how you balance it all together. So this will be a really cool one. Uh, It's just me talking with Big Ty, um, who's residing in Pittsburgh now, just about the business of broadcasting, radio broadcasting and sports broadcasting and all the the incredible people that he's met along the way and everything that goes into it and how it affects family. So I hope you listen through. This is, again, on Zoom. Let me think, because I said I, we did one on Zoom. That was, it was only one, but I think we did two. I think I did two interviews on Zoom until I realized it was the worst thing ever. Yeah, just two. So it should just be this one um, and another interview that we, we did on Zoom. Um, so again, I hope you enjoy it. I hope there's good context in there for you. Um, and I hope you're able to pull something for it. So thanks for listening. be long time no here it's joel uh the host of the moonlighters club podcast i am uh in my attic slash workspace slash office slash recording studio the only room my wife will let me do anything in um <laughs> it's creative um and uh i'm back with an interview it's uh, it's interesting because we uh once covid hit um i you know for those who've been listening and following, uh, I would have these weekly kind of check-ins. They were sanity check-ins. And it was me moving to DC, losing a base of people, and uh, just trying to figure out where to go next with this podcast. So now I'm much happier. Um, still in DC. Just bought a house in another part of DC. I've never been a homeowner before, so it feels good. Um, I'm back in the swing of things. And uh, it's perfect timing because... The year of COVID was rough, but 2021 is the year, and it's already started, that I want to uh, uh, put Joel first. Uh, I've been working my butt off as a company man. I've worked really hard through 2020, and now I'm going to put all that energy into this podcast. I've already started, got some big things in the works, and uh, we're seeing it now. So I'm actually honored. Uh, uh, You know, before uh, this guest right here, before I did this interview, I'm like talking to one of my good friends, uh, uh, Ty Miller. I'm like, I, I want to uh, 
you know, you meet up with your dad, you know, he's super cool. Love, uh, you know, love to talk to him. What do I call him? <laughs> <laughs> Ty is just like, just call him Ty. I'm like, I'm not calling him Ty. I'm not calling him vice versa. <laughs> That's not how I do it. But what should, how should I refer to you? So that it is respectful. I want to be honorable. I want to make sure he's I do exactly it exactly right. right. Ty. He's, okay. He's, he's exactly right. All right. All right. My mother asked. He yeah. said, that's what he said. That's what he <laughs> but first of all, thank you. Thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. No problem. All right. So uh, what I want to uh, talk about is I met, I'll call him Big Ty. There's Big Ty and there's other Big Ty because my friend Ty Miller from Boston is huge. Um, but we do a podcast called Still Talking and we, I'm a, we talk about the Steelers. You may have seen it before. I have a Steelers hat on. Most of the times I do these interviews and that is how I met it's Father Ty. Uh, you've been doing uh, your own show, which reports on the Steelers Championship Chase. How long have you been doing Championship Chase? Eleven years now. Eleven years. All right. So, um, we met through that, and and Ty would always talk about you uh, and us, what we should do for the podcast, how we talk about the Steelers, different angles that we can take. Um, so that is how we were, we became acquaintances. Unfortunately, the Steelers have not been that good. I mean, they've been good, but they haven't been great. For the past three or four years since I met you, um, <laughs> which we'll get into, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> but, They've been good for business. I'll tell you that much. They've been good for business. Exactly. Exactly. So what I want to do now is, uh, uh, first, you have an interesting background um, in terms of just where, uh, where your family comes from, where you lived. You're based in Pittsburgh now. Uh, where are you from originally? Alabama. What city? Bessemer, which is about 10 miles outside of Birmingham and maybe okay. 20 miles from Tuscaloosa. Okay. Okay. In between, yeah. In between Birmingham and Tuscaloosa. Nice. My um, my dad's from outside of Montgomery in this town called Raymer. And, I've heard uh, of it. Yeah, I, I I've been there more often lately. Uh, funny the, the funny story I have about Alabama is I went down to visit him in like 2001, and I've never gone. And uh, he uh, he told me he had rats in his house because he was redoing his house. You know, one of them handyman always has projects going on, and. I'm like, all right. He said it like it was nothing too. Like, oh, it's just rats. Don't worry about it. I'm like, all right. I mean, I'm used to city rats, but not in the house. And I hear this rat scurrying around the house, scurrying around the kitchen floor, and I could see it. So I get up and I'm like, I don't do this. So if the rat comes in, I'm getting ready to step on it, fight it, whatever. The rat had wings. It was a bat. And I'm never hit. Like I was a senior in high school. I started screaming. I was screaming as loud as I could. I ran in the bathroom for like an hour. And then he comes downstairs like, what? what's your problem i'm like dude there's a bat there's a bat flying around here and he goes uh oh and that's it just you know shake it out with a bro <laughs> <I'm like, "What?" laughs> uh, so roll tide mm-hmm. you're from alabama um did you go straight from alabama to pittsburgh no actually i did not i actually went to boston first i actually went oh. to boston just to visit after oh. high school and i was in, in right out of high school i went to uh i enrolled at the university of alabama but i couldn't get um, the dormitory. And so being about 20, 25 miles from the uh, school, we only had one car, so I couldn't commute every day. So, and, and the reason I didn't get my dormitory in time is because I waited late to apply. I got in, but by the time I got in, I had to be like a commuter student. And there was no way I could commute every day. So instead I went to Boston to work. Uh, so I'll work uh, here for like three months and I'll come back. But unfortunately, or fortunately, as it turned out, I ended up staying in Boston because I, you know, I met Ty's mom. <laughs> That's not gonna happen. So <laughs> it delayed me going back, you know? And uh, when I 
I've worked a couple of jobs in Boston, worked a bowling alley, worked in a Baskin Robbins. And I decided, you know, well, you know, I can't make it like this. Can I was can't make it. So I need to go back to school. So the only thing I loved all my life was radio. I knew since I was 12 years old that I wanted to be in radio some way, somehow. Didn't know how I would do it, but I knew that was my passion ever since I can remember. And I think about 11 or 12 is when it hit me that I want to be in, in this business. Mm-hmm. What what was it when you were 11 and 12? When you were like, I just always loved, I loved music, first of all. And I remember okay. when I was, a, I was, I was maybe 10, 10 years old, my mom would make me, you know, I would have a transistor radio in the bed at night. And she would say, turn that off and go to bed. And I'll be under the covers with the radio. I just like, cause I could hear, I could pick up stations in anywhere from to, in Canada. I listened to everything because I love music, love top 40. I love sports. And I was a cowboy fan. I remember when I was about nine years old or 10 years old, trying to pick up their preseason games. You know, I even go back and I, have to, I can look up probably when Roger Staubach, a former Cowboys quarterback, he had a shoulder separation in preseason one time. And this has to be like maybe 1970 or 71. And he got the shoulder separated against the Rams, but I heard it on the radio broadcast in Alabama, picking up a, a, their game in LA somewhere. Wow. You know? So, and my grandfather loved the Braves because just Alabama people, they love the Atlanta Braves. So every day he would say, get the radio and find the Braves for me. Cause he knew I could find them right away. He, he knew the radio, they were on the radio, but he didn't know where, but I knew exactly where to go find the Braves. I knew the stations. So I just, I always had this affinity for, for like, you know, radio. And it's one the funny thing about this, Joel, I used to work for a company called Sheridan Broadcasting Network and Sheridan Broadcasting Network was, um, a nationwide network that would broadcast to black rate to black radio stations all across the country, their news and sports. So when I was 12, I would hear the Sheridan broadcasting network on radio in, in Birmingham and Bessemer where I lived. And I had no idea where it was coming from, but funny thing, I ended up working for them. Wow. I ended up wow. working for them later in life and, wow. and being their news director, working there for 30 years. Uh, okay. So now things happen. You knew you wanted to get into radio. Um, did you ever play music? Uh, yeah, I mean, 45s, records is at home a lot. You know, I, I, was, I love music. I mean, my, I love music to the fact where I played it Monday through Saturday because we couldn't play music on Sunday. <laughs> <That's our> <laughs> maybe late afternoon, Sunday night. And I, my, my mom would always say, well, you get up every day, turn the radio on. But on Sunday, you never turn gospel on. <laughs> so, and... Yeah. It was me and my, my sister, we were, we were the two people in the house who loved music a lot, but she always got after us about that, that we, we every day before school, no matter what we were doing, we had the radio on dancing or listening to music. But on Sunday, she said, you never turn that radio on. You need to learn, learn to listen to gospel. But I always just had a, a thing for music. Okay. So when you are here in Boston, you're working, um, when you decide that, okay, you want to do something else, you want to get back on the radio, uh, it's funny. Radio was something I wanted to get into, and I, it was late '90s, or I don't know why I wanted to be in the broadcasting. You know what it was? I had done a kids a, a kids sports broadcasting mm-hmm. um, thing, but it wasn't that. It, it was seeing that was like the boom of the shock jock, late '90s. Like, yeah. I'd love to do that. I would love to do this, but I never knew how you actually got in. So what what do you do then? Now that you know you want to get into radio to do something different, do you have to go to school first? Or do you just work, try to get into a station and then work your way to the mic? Well, what I did, uh, I knew there were communication schools in Boston. And there were two schools in Boston. There was one called Graham Junior College 
and one called Emerson College that taught communication classes and radio and TV classes. Well, Graham closed up, it was a two-year college, they eventually closed up. But Emerson had a curriculum uh, for TV and radio. So I was like, okay, this is perfect. But now the trick was, how are you gonna pay for it? So when I started to look into it, I found out that first of all, they encouraged minorities to go there because they had very few minorities. So I was almost like a, you know, a guy that they, once I, I contacted them, they really recruited me to get there. So I got partial scholarships. I found out that, you know, my high school transcript showed that I was a top 20 student in a class of 250. I was like number 19, so I always called myself top 20. So, because out, out of 250 students, I was like number 19. So I said, hey, top 20. But I didn't know that until I graduated high school and I saw my transcripts because I, I didn't know the process because up until I went to college, no one in my family had gone to college. So okay. I didn't even know the process. My mom and dad really didn't know how to get me there. They just knew, my mom told me a long time ago, she, well, my uncle told me when I got to Boston, he said, your mom said, you weren't gonna stay there. She knew you were gonna leave, but she didn't know what you were gonna do. So that's how I ended up in, in Emerson because I was working at Baskin Robbins and when I decided to go to school, I was like, okay, I wanna do radio. So where, where, where should I go? Go to Emerson. But when I got there, I found out, first of all, you don't jump just into radio. You have to take mm -hmm. communication classes. and my accent from Alabama was so thick that I remember my cousins in Boston, every time I would say something, they'd be like, what'd you say? Because Alabama people, a lot of us, we talk real fast. We, we, we cut off the ERs, we cut off the INGs. We, we, and just like, it's just a Southern vernacular. So that I had it. And a friend of mine, a funny story, a friend of mine up here in Pittsburgh, once we were talking about, you know, why people in the South talk so fast. His theory was, was because when people were slaves, they had to talk real fast before the master caves. But so I go to school and I find out that you have to take all these, you know, they, Emerson wanted you to have general American speech generalized American speech. So you can sound like generic, like you come from nowhere. Yeah, okay. So I had to take courses like voice and articulation, a lot of speech classes. And I remember one, one instructor told me uh, the first time I got into a radio practicum class when we were just practicing commercials, he told me, you need to do something else because I don't think you can do this the way you sound. Well, I don't know if he was trying to encourage or discourage, but what it did for me, it encouraged me. And I just like, I worked as hard as I could just on my own voice and speech and everything, not my voice, but I already always had like what people considered like a deep voice for whatever reason, sounds just like yours, similar to yours. And I want to go back to high school when I was in 10th grade, I was in, in a bathroom coming out and one of the football player who was about 6'2 said to me, hey man, I wish I had your voice. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm like, you wish you had my voice. And that stuck with me throughout my life because he, he said that. I wish I had a voice like yours. And I never thought about it, you know? Yeah. So, but fast forward at Emerson, a lot of voice and articulation classes. And I got my first radio gig on the, at the student-run radio station, which was, went like a two-block radius. It was a top 40 station. I loved it, man, because I I, my shift was like 11 until 2. And even though I, I commuted from Cambridge to Emerson, you know, but I, my shift was 11 to 2, and it taught me all the basics of radio. And then after that, I graduated to the big station, which was WERS, 
in Boston, which was like the giant station for colleges. And from there, I just, my career just like took off from the standpoint of that and then working at WIOD in Boston. And then I moved to, to Baltimore and then to Pittsburgh. Wait a second, because Ty, all right, my friend missed all this stuff. First of all, for those who don't know, Emerson, legendary communication school. Uh, man, like I feel like Dennis Leary. Like I'm always hearing stories about oh, yeah. random celebrities I, that went to that I, school. A lot of people went there. And again, I know some people, I, I see them now, but when I was there, I didn't, I didn't know them. Because one of the things about going there, which I kind of hated, it's like one of them things I always thought to myself, if I could do it over again, if I could yeah. do it over again, I would take advantage of the TV. I would take advantage of everything. But I was just hell bent. I just wanted to be in radio. Yeah. All I wanted was radio. I didn't know. I didn't want anything else but radio. But they had TV courses. They, but also being from the South and being shy and being in a predominantly white school, it was sort of like a culture shock to me, too. Right. You know, I'm from a school in, in Alabama where it was 50 50 black and white, my high yeah. school. But when I got to college, it was like you were like one uh, or two in the class. And it was almost like if you weren't the guy who assimilated, it's like people didn't talk to you, so you became a loner. And that's, that's what I was. So I was more of an introvert than an extrovert in college until like the radio allowed me to become an extrovert because nobody could see you. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's you, a good point. Your, your anonymity created a situation where you can talk and say anything or and, and nobody can see you. And I do remember, and see, you call my son Big Ty. Ty's about 6'4". I'm like 5'7". All right? It's a funny thing, you know? But when I was my first job in Boston on a professional radio station, WILD, I, the, the jock who came on behind me, he had never met me, right? So he comes in. He said, man, I thought you were this 6'5 dude with your voice. And I come here, you stand on a soapbox talking. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that, that was like, yeah, Ty missed a whole lot because maybe he doesn't know all the complete history of how I did things. But it was a lot of hard work, man. It took hard work to get there because the, the funny thing about graduating Emerson once I graduated, I knew I was going to, I, I wanted to get a radio job, but my chances in Boston were very slim because there was only one black station. And just like now, black media or black talent doesn't get hired at a lot of radio stations because you become like a quota. Exactly. It still exists. You know, people yeah. don't think it does. It still exists. So in Boston, there was one black station. And if you worked at a station like Kiss 108, which was the, it was the, was the, um, top 40 urban station where they would play during the daytime they would kind of like play the, the pop music but at night when the black station went off the air they would crank all the black music out but yeah. they only had one or two black employees because that was the account of a quota system which still exists today in radio uh so my chances of landing at WIOD were very slim and also slim because everybody coming out of college that year they wanted jobs and i remember guys from dc guys from los angeles making fun of me uh, because uh, you're from Alabama, you know. And the funny thing is, the guy hired me from Boston to work at WILD. And when he hired me, there were like three or four different people from my college who had graduated and would call and said, did you fill the position yet? And the guy told me, man, you listen to these guys calling in, one of the job that you just got. And I was like, all these guys who made fun of me from the South, you know, I end up getting this job. And that's how my my, my career kind of took off from there. In terms of what I was doing. Wow! Shout out to WILD, man. That was my. Uh, I'm from Bo uh, live, I'm born and raised in Boston, so I remember WILD like the back of my hand. This is before 94.5 took off. WILD was the end all be all. They actually did a charity wrestling event at the YMCA, 
by Dudley when I was a kid, and we got to see Pubble, uh, Pebbles yeah. uh, wrestle the <laughs> rated wrestlers. It was great. <laughs> 90 Warren Street, man. That's in Boston. 90 Warren Street. I, I used to like take a bus there because I didn't have a car. I would take a bus and my shift like in the morning at six o'clock in, in the morning until 10 on Saturday mornings. And I was a swing jock for the morning talent. So whenever the morning DJ was out, I was the guy who would fill in for him. And, and the reason I left Boston is because there were only, it was a daytimer and you, you only had like three full-time shifts. So your chances of getting a full-time job and making it in radio in Boston were very slim as a, as a black guy. So, or, or anybody for that matter who wanted to work radio in Boston. So I started sending texts yeah. and I got hits from yeah. all over the place. And I eventually went to Baltimore because Baltimore offered me a chance to come down to see the station. If I didn't like it, I could go back. Okay. All right. Baltimore, so- in in, in uh, Cincinnati said, we want to hire you right now. You can come down here, but you know, we can't pay you way to come see the city or the station. So it's your job if you want it. A guy in Memphis wanted to hire me, but he changed my flight about three times in one day to come down to see the station. And I didn't like to fly anyway. So at the time, like I told my wife, you know, I'm not gonna go to Memphis because I'm like, I'm just like, this man is crazy changing flight times every other hour. So he he would have a secretary call me back, we're gonna fly down at two o'clock. And he called me back an hour later. You know what? That, that flight's changed. So we want to fly you down at like like six o'clock. And what that flight changed again? One of so I'm like, you know what? That's not for me. And right. I also had I had an opportunity to go to a top forty station, a white station in Savannah, Georgia. And the reason I didn't go there because and I wanted to, but they wanted me to work overnights, the overnight shift, twelve to six. And I would have if I were single, but Ty's sister Veronica at the time she was only two. And I was like, there's no way I want to leave my wife and my baby in a new city overnight working at a radio station in a new city. So I didn't take that job. So I took, took Baltimore, Baltimore's offer. Got it. So when you're doing these swing shifts or do you mm-hmm. working other places, is this all you're doing to prep for that? Do you, in terms of, because it's a few hours here and there and you're, you're filling in if people are incapacitated. Do you, are you only doing radio? Only because when I would, go to radio places to learn just like I had to go to stations just to learn more about how it works and people are like no I work two jobs I work three jobs this guy works two jobs so I just never understood that lifestyle well no I in Boston I actually um worked two jobs I was a part-time my my job making 425 an hour at WILD and I was getting like 10 hours a week my shift and then they they gave me hours as an assistant music director okay. and all I did as assistant music director was open up open up records and then stack them or, or, you know, file the records away. But that was my assistant music director title. And, but I also worked in near Fenway at WROR, WRKO, which was a, a adult contemporary station that had brought me in as an intern one summer out of Emerson. Because Emerson had a summer program for interns, minority students. So they placed me at WROR in Boston down in Fenway one year. And then once I graduated, they hired me as, the, as a music researcher where I would do call out on the telephone to have people call, they, was, they would call it Boston Research, but we call residents to have them listen to 30 songs. We would play snippets. Do you like it? Do you not like it? Does it sound good to you? So that was a job for four hours. So I did that like three or four days a week. And on the weekends, I worked on the air at WILD. And the funny thing about, uh, I want to backtrack when I was at, at, at Emerson and got that summer internship, and I got an intern, it was, I'll say it was a white radio station. And I remember wanting to learn as much as I could about the program, programming aspect, but the 
program director who was an Emerson grad, but Gary Berkowitz, he's still in radio. When I got to his department, they would rotate me in sales, programming, news, every different department for two weeks for the summer. When I got to his area of programming, which is what I really desired to learn in, he told them, nope, don't have time for him. Put him somewhere else. I will never forget that. And it, that stuck with me throughout my entire career because anytime I got a chance to train someone throughout my career, I took the time to try to mentor them. I don't know why he didn't want to do it, but it was like, it was like, okay, I'm not going to teach him anything. Put him over there because I don't have time for him here. Now he's a well-renowned, he became a well-renowned programmer in top 40 radio, but that's the one thing that always stuck with me about him. Yeah. Gary, you're the worst. No one likes you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't hate being on my, you know, I mean, like, you know, if I, I don't know why people, you might be a good program, but a people person, you're not. Yeah. Yeah. And so and, yeah, you do part-time jobs when you, when you're doing swing jobs, because swing jobs are like you come in when somebody's sick or when somebody can't make it. I, I do remember, you remember the Challenger shuttle in 1986, you weren't probably weren't born then. Maybe you, I was young, but I, yeah, I was, yeah. I remember I was a part time. I remember that day. That's one day I, I'm glad to this day I didn't work on the air that day because um, I remember people who were on radio that day. How are you going to get through that? You know, because I because I'm like I don't know how I would have managed on the air. You know, being on the radio at that time when that happened because everybody in Boston was looking forward to Krista McAuliffe, who was from I think maybe she's from New Hampshire or somewhere somewhere in New England. She was going up as a school teacher. So it was, everybody was all on this. And then when that happened, man, you knew right away how tragic it was. And I just said to myself, I'm so glad I'm home as opposed to on the radio and have to get that news because how playing music can I relate that to people? You know, how wow. can you do that? Yeah, that's a, it's interesting. You, you telling me WILD stories is like, it's just bringing back all these memories because I went to the schools all around Boston, elementary school. I spent some time at the uh, Trotter um, which is right up the street. Uh, well, not Boston's small, but like it's right up on Humboldt. And my music teacher, Miss Holland, uh, was the same music teacher for the new kids on the block. Uh-huh. And you worked at WILD, which is on Warren Street, which is literally like 10 minutes, like a five minute walk from where New Edition grew up in Orchard Park. So like Marie Star had a radio station. And, and they were, they did make frequent trips to the radio station because at the time they were being managed by a guy named Maury Starr. Maury Starr's office was like somewhere around there, right? Yeah, yeah. Maury Starr was right around there. And they, they, were, they were at the station, you know, when their records broke and things like that. And it was just like, okay, they're just these kids from Boston. And That's it's amazing what they turned out to be. That's insane. So when you're looking for something new, what goes into making uh, tape? Like uh, what people... What I hated when you look at those like rags to riches stories, they talk about like mostly rags and then just riches instead of like, how do you get the transitions? So you actually have to make a tape that people hear to somehow encompass all your skills. How long are these tapes and what goes into making them? Well, you're talking about the air checks and the air checks used to, used to be the standard in the business for sending out, applying for jobs. We used to get our program director used to solicit air checks he would advertise in the, in the trade magazines that we were looking for jobs. He was looking for new talent. We would take those air checks and use them as tapes to tape our, our shows on. We were basically, he would get the tapes in and he would also, an old radio trick, they would steal ideas. So you get tapes in somewhere else. You listen to the jocks, what they were doing in that city. Yeah. And, and you listen to them and you take different things from it. You know, I mean, as a matter of fact, my hook in Boston was Kanaka Hanakiaka, which I still use sometimes on radio. 
Kanak Kanakiakatai Miller. And I got that when I was at, at Emerson because I heard a tape from Hawaii one time. And I don't know, they, the guy was speaking, I don't know what language he was speaking, but he said it was so fast. And what I got out of it was Kanaka Hanakiaka. And that 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 hook got me jobs. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> that, that hook got me jobs, man. Kanaka Hanakiaka type. Like, what are you saying? You know, that got me a job here in Pittsburgh because guy heard my tape. Man, what are you saying? And to this day, people are like, okay, cannot, can you tell us what it means now? And all it was was a greeting, hello, how are you in Hawaiian? You know, but I, I attached it to my name as a hook. So yeah, guys were sent out. PDs were sent out to get tapes in. They would tell us to erase the tapes and use it for the air check machine so we could tape our shows. So when you send an air check tape, it was normally your best stuff that you think you have spliced together, meaning that it's edited, the music taken out of it, just you talking over music. And you do what they call maybe six or seven breaks. And if somebody likes your tape, they like how you sound, how you execute it, you know, whatever you're saying in your breaks, that's how you you would get jobs. It's not so much like that now because, see, I came through the era, too, where it became you didn't have to have a lot of experience to get on the air. It kind of kind of went back to how it was back in the old days because in the, in the 70s and 80s, it got to the point where, well, they would have these consultants say, well, the jock should sound like this and they should have this kind of voice or she should sound like this, he should sound like that. And that's the right sound for my station. My station sounds like this. So that's what the air check would do for you. That's how I got my jobs. I got a job. That's how I got my job in Boston. That's how I got my job in Baltimore by my air check. You know, when I sent it to a program director, he heard me. Hey, man, I like, I like, I like what, what, how you sound. You know, can you send me another tape? I want to hear another tape on you. And I want to bring you down for an interview. That's how you got them. So when you went to Baltimore, what was the position that you went down there for? I went to Baltimore for a full-time position uh, to do uh, middays, 10 to 3, be a midday job. Is that a good slot? Yeah, it's it's like the it's it's like the it's a good daytime slot, certainly, because number one, at least you have a little party a day when you get up. And when you get off the air at three o'clock, you had some day left. Yeah. Because if you're in radio at that time, even now for the most part, if you're a disc jockey, which is coming like a lost art now because now people are air checking, I can do a show. You can do a four hour show now in like 20 minutes because yeah. just air checking, not air checking, but the, they're doing the, uh, I forgot the term they call it, but, but you just like tape your show, tape the breaks and put them together and they lay them down over music and your show's done. You could do a whole week worth of shows. That's why you hear so much radio now. If you listen to Sirius, they don't talk about the weather because if you're doing a generic show, you can't really talk about the weather. Yeah. But, or you can't localize. Everything sounds the same. You know, the jocks are not really saying much these days. They don't even tell you the name of the songs. But uh, the thing about it is the job was 10 to 3. It was a good shift for me, you know. And plus it paid, at the time, $15,000, man, like it was like a gold mine. And in 86, coming from 425 an hour in, in ILD to 15000 a year, it was a good shift. And if I wanted to part-time and do something else, I had the opportunity to work a part-time job. But at the time, 15 for me was like $40,000 coming out of college. Nice, nice. So yeah, yeah it's like, it, it was a good shift. So I, but I didn't stay there for eight months. I stayed there eight months and, and uh, got another offer. And I wasn't sending out air checks. Someone came through the city and heard me. Wow, get out of here. So yeah. you're doing your show and- I'm Doing my show. Um, at the time, I, I, there was a guy before my wife moved down, I, I lived with a guy who had been a disc jockey at the station I was working at, but he had, 
gone into another line of work. He was a promoter. So I lived with him for maybe two to three months. And a, a few months after I'd been there, about eight months, one of his old friends came through town from Pittsburgh. And we went out to, to dinner. And my friend said, hey, man, you should take a listen to this young dude because he said he's going to be good in the business. So the guy, he's like, okay, uh, send me an air check. I'm like, man, I don't want to leave. I just got here. But just doing my due diligence, I sent him an air check. And next thing I know, he called back and made me an offer. But before I left, a bigger station heard I was leaving and made me an offer. Said, well, we want to keep you in Baltimore and take you from the station you're currently working at. And we'll hire you for the same amount of money to just work weekends and fill in for mornings. But they were slow to assign me. So they, they kept dragging it out for another week or so. I think, and I really wanted to stay because I'm like, I could stay here and just do part-time on the weekend, making $23,000. And then I can give me a, a job through the week. I can really stack some money. But the guy said, well, you know, it's not the offer we thought it was going to be. So it's more like 18 for weekends and you can, you can, you know, fill in. So I was like, okay, I'm taking Pittsburgh. So that's how I moved to Pittsburgh. Wow. So, so I get, yeah, that's, that's how it happened. This is when, uh, what is it? What do they call luck? When, uh, uh, Oh, what is the term for luck? When, uh, practice of preparation meet opportunity or something weird like that i can't remember this is when the beers the chicago beers were like a terrible team with rex grossman but they kept getting those fluky wins at the end but it's funny i like movies always tell you that these life-changing things just happen like you wake up you go to work one day someone's like joel here's five million dollars you earned it but in reality it's the fact that you're really good at something through a bunch of practice and you get to a point where someone does hear you for the first time and all those years or months or whatever may have you that you put into your craft, that moment that that person got the opportunity to hear you, they're like, oh, you sound great. And it's not because you just woke up that day and you're amazing. You've been preparing for this for like years. Like you're doing you know, it. Yeah. <laughs> so question, what was Baltimore like in the 80s? Baltimore is nice. Baltimore, every girl in Baltimore had a mushroom haircut. <laughs> but Baltimore is live because here's the thing. When I was doing, I was I was doing maybe just straight R&B like Boston was. Boston was like straight R&B because you're only one daytime station. When I would go to Baltimore in, in 1986, it's rap city. It's like got like five black radio stations all playing different stuff and they're banging the rap music. This wow. is like, you know, they're banging rap like I don't know what, man. And I'm like, this genre is not going to last because it's crazy. It sounds crazy. And I, I didn't like rap music. And so my station was like a block station where in the morning they played gospel from 6 to 10. I came up at 10 o'clock. I played like R&B. And then at 2 o'clock before I went off at 3, they had me start to play rap. Okay. And then the guy who came, the guy who hired me was an older guy, older than me. He was, he was like a rap fiend. He played rap on the station, but they got huge numbers. You know, wow. it, it, Baltimore is real. I really enjoyed Baltimore because Baltimore was like, if you live, if you, if you live in Alabama, first of all, and then you move to Boston, that's a huge culture shock. You're like from one extreme to the other in terms of African-American lifestyle, in terms of what culturally is there in Boston for you, as opposed to what was culturally there for you in, in Alabama. You go to Baltimore, it's like the happy medium. Yeah. It's like a, a very good happy medium. So from that aspect, I enjoy Baltimore a whole lot, man. Because it, it, first of all, it also was like, for me, it was close enough to Boston where I could still shoot up there to see my sisters. 
and it was just like it was, it was like centrally located. Yeah, it, it was like okay, Alabama's it might be you know nine or ten hours, but still it's not that far away. But it was just a nice feel, it, and to this day. You know, my, my life has been directed in the path that was supposed to happen, where I was supposed to leave Baltimore. But if there was one place I really enjoyed and, and really, you know, it was there were crime-ridden areas like it still is now. But we were living in a, a, a part of town where it was really nice. And I enjoyed Baltimore a whole lot, man. Like, I really hated to leave Baltimore. But, you know, it was better opportunity money-wise. And actually, I was so bad, you know, like in, in school, man, I was like, I didn't know anything about geography for the most part. I knew estates and stuff like that where they're located. But you take a state like Pennsylvania. So when I got the, the job in Pittsburgh, I'm thinking, okay, well, I'll be close to Philly. I can still shoot the Boston sometime. So me and my wife started driving and, and we kept going west. Like, and I'm like, this is like way out the we end up in the Midwest. So I was like, man, this is like, and the thing about Pittsburgh and Philadelphia, they're so unlike each other. Because mm-hmm. one once like we're in the West, Philadelphia's in the East, but it's almost more like being in North and South. <laughs> I mean, if, I mean, a real talk, it is. It's kind of like, it's so, the dynamic here is so different. If you go to Philadelphia, you see things in Philly that look like Pittsburgh. You, can, you come to Pittsburgh, you see things in Pittsburgh that look like Philly. But the people are so different, and it's primarily because the mix of people here, the numbers you know, are not as even as they are in Philadelphia, black to white ratio. So okay. culturally, culturally, in a sense, Pittsburgh is a lot like Boston. Pittsburgh reminds me of Boston. Wow. And Boston's a little bit more progressive only because it's a bigger city yeah. in terms of stature, I guess. Yeah. You know, but, you know, it's, it's not, Pittsburgh is not as progressive as it needs to be. So you have to be progressive and you have to be aggressive to get things done which is what I've done, which allowed me to get into business doing what I'm doing. So uh, when you got to Pittsburgh, you uh, what was your role at the station? That you I was a disc jockey. I, I was a disc jockey. I came in as a disc jockey in the morning drive, doing morning drive. And the funny thing about doing morning drive was just, it was, you kind of work a lot because you go to bed late as to try to get as much information as you can because you have to be up early to relay it to the audience. That's what they want to know what went on overnight. You're that guy to get them up in the morning to drive them to work or whatever. So it was a fun time. And I guess it really get ratings. But the thing about radio, especially black radio, is like they're always changing sometimes. They might change the program director. They change the management. So I got caught up in that conundrum where they eventually, after doing it for a year and a half, they changed the management. And I got put on night times. Uh. Okay, so they shipped me around to nights. A new guy came in to run the station. Hey, I want you as my nighttime jock because I got a jock I'm bringing in from somewhere else. I want him to do mornings. So you're doing night. So Joel will go on vacation one time. And Ty might have been about, Ty was about two. Yeah, Ty was like two years old. We go to Alabama on vacation one time. So I came back from vacation to Pittsburgh. And I was gone for a week. And the guy calls me. He said, I need you to come in early before you start your shift. So I go into the station and he said, well, we're making a change. He said, uh, I'm putting the guy who was on for you for vacation on, you know, you're going to be part-time now. I'm like, what? I was like, why? Because I get good rating. He said, well, he just takes it to a higher level. I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> he takes it to a higher level. 
He, okay, why? Because he screams now and I don't scream? No, he just takes it to a high level. So consequently, I was put on part-time. So I told my wife to come pick me up and time Veronica in the car, his older sister. And I was devastated until I got in the car. Because when I got in the car, I so told my wife what happened. I told her on the phone, but when she got in, got in the car, Veronica, who was like at the time, Veronica was seven. I said, she said, dad, how come, how come you coming home? She said, I said, well, dad's not gonna be on the radio every day anymore uh, because you know they're gonna put me on weekend. And she was like, oh, that's okay. Now you can be home with me. Yeah. Everything <laughs> went away. Because she kind of like brought everything to perspective. She said, you can be home with us now. So I was like, cool. So I went, from, I became a part-timer and the, the guy who had demoted me was a guy, I actually tried to help get the job. I helped him get the job as program director because he had moved to Alabama. Because when I, when, to backtrack, when I first came to Pittsburgh, he was the overnight guy. I was the morning guy. So when I was coming on at six o'clock, he, he was leaving. You know, because his, his shift was 12 to midnight, 12, 12 to 6. And he eventually got a job as a program director in Alabama. So when I would go to Alabama on a couple of occasions, I went to visit him in Tuscaloosa, which, where he was he was uh, programming. And we always kept in contact. So when the job came up in Pittsburgh, I called him and said, hey, man, that job's open. You know, you need to apply for it right now. He gets the job. The first thing he does, he comes in, he puts me on overnight. I mean, he puts me on at night. Then I'm on the weekends. And then he says to me, you got six months to work the job or you want to take your severance. And I'm like, and I couldn't understand why because I, my wife was friends with his wife. We'd always been cordial. But for some reason, he was trying to get me out of that station. I found out later on why. Because uh, some people said I was idealistic and I was a team player and I, I had a lot of ideas. So you, sometimes you outshine people without even thinking that you're doing it, it's trying to help. So I told him I'll take the six months because I don't want the service. On that last day that I was supposed to be let go, because the funny thing about it, when he told me that I stopped, I didn't even look for jobs. I was like, you know what? I might send out one or two tapes, but I ain't, you know, I'm, I don't want to be a nomad. I never wanted to be a nomad in radio. So I never, even though I went from Boston to Baltimore, to Pittsburgh, I've never been a nomad because a lot of people used to move around from like year to year. Different yeah. Having a family, I don't want to do that because I know those type families don't stay together. And I heard the horror stories. When I told people I want to be a jock, why would you do that, man? You can't have a family because it's not going to stay together. So I always say to myself, I'm not going to do that. I'll stick where I am because I want to keep my family together. So the last day, the, the, the station always connected to a network, which was Sheridan Broadcasting. That was the network. They had news and sports on the other side of the building. So when I was there, I would go down there and pick my head down there periodically and got to know people. On the last day of my day working, I got hired as a board op. Right down the hall as a board op. So from board op, then a sports job came up on the air to read sports. And I was like, man, how am I going to read without music? I'm so used to having music underneath my voice. Yeah. But I auditioned. I got it. Then got sports director, then news director. And the same guy who fired me, he came back to that station on a few occasions visiting, looked at me, saw me in an office. <laughs> I mean, that's how, that's how funny radio is, you know. And here's the thing. 
funny, real story. This past Sunday, I got uh, a LinkedIn connection uh, invitation from a guy here in Pittsburgh. Remember I told you I went on vacation and came back and the guy who had replaced me when I came back just sent me a LinkedIn invitation to be a friend on LinkedIn in business because he's no longer in radio. And maybe he sees that I'm doing radio and doing a little TV. So I don't know. It's not, I'm not being braggadocious about it, but it's kind of funny how things transpire like that, how things kind of come around and like, okay, wow. I, I told my, I guess you're sending me a LinkedIn invitation. JJ, who replaced me? She's like, really? And I accept it. I don't really want it, but I accept it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a story. So, man, that's a lot. That's a, it, it, it's it'd be so it'd be so easy to get dejected. Like I could, I, it's just, man, it, it, especially radio, TV, the stories I've heard of just like how quick you can go from here to here, you know, how, how you can be on top of the world in a day and then no one knows who you are next or you, your job's just gone or you're just different. That, that would take a lot to overcome. So uh, I'm glad to hear it. The reason, um, the reason being, I'll tell you, be honest with you, the reason it's so easy to stay in, in radio uh, because it's what I love doing. Now, if I was in it for the money, if you're in it for the money, you're in it for the wrong business. Because radio is not really lucrative. You know, there are not a whole lot of Ryan Seacrests out there. I mean, you <laughs> might go to the station, get a good salary in the city or something like that. It's not to say that it's a, you know, you're not going to go broke in it or you're not going to, you, you can make a living in it, but you're not going to break the bank in it for the most part. But in terms of would I want to do anything else? Only, only other thing I want to do would be to cut hair. That'd be the only other thing I would do. Have you ever thought about, because this is something I struggle with, um, when you see these moves that are happening that other people are making, people that you're nice to, you know, people who are, who are pushing cold shoulders, have you ever been tempted to say, well, I guess I have to be a shark if everyone else is acting like a shark out here? No, just, just because I can't be mean to people in that sense. I mean, that's just not my nature. You know, I, I, I was taught by my mom to turn the other cheek. Yeah. And I, I was told by other people, you, you turn the other cheek, they're going to slap you on the other cheek. And that has happened. But it has also served me well in terms of I don't have to go home with a bad conscience about treating people a certain way. And I've been on the other end of the stick a lot of times. I've been I've, I've had dirt done to me in terms of this business because it, it is a cutthroat business. It is a, it is a truly cutthroat business. And but you don't have to be cutthroat to survive in it or to work in it. But some people just that they'll do anything to get ahead. And that's just the nature of, and I can imagine that the TV industry has got to be much worse. Yeah. Yeah. So you bounce back, you're on this new station, you segue into sports. Were you fine with that? You'd been a disc jockey for so long. You know, you said not hearing music was new, but. Yeah, I was, I was fine with it because like, I always love sports because when I was, even I, I love music in Alabama, when I was 12, my mom used to get me Sports Illustrated magazines because she knew I loved sports that much because I was a big Alabama football fan from like the time I was seven years old in 1967. So I, she knew I loved Alabama football so much so that when I moved to Boston, my mom would send me the Sunday paper every week because I had recaps of Alabama football with all the pictures in the paper of the game because Alabama football, they would do a spread in the, in the sports section where you would have about four or five pages of action shots of Alabama football after the games have been played on Saturday. That's how big it, it is and was down there when newspapers were prevalent at the time. So 
sports for me when I got into sports. It was like it was a natural segue for me. Nice. So you're now in sports with the world famous Pittsburgh Steelers flagship organization. Uh, <laughs> what, what's so what are you doing kind of what was your first role when you get into sports or your primary role? Are you doing post game stuff do you, every day? You're just talking about different sports in Pittsburgh. Um, yeah. How are your duties? And uh, um, well, so here's the thing. I was in Pittsburgh. But see, again, I was on a national network. Sheridan Broadcasting was. Oh, okay. National. Okay. Now, the Steelers were the local team, but my focus has always been national with, with sports. You know, I didn't really, I didn't really concentrate on now the local radio station. Sometimes would have me do sports report. The same one I would, I used to do music on. Yeah. When I became a sports guy, they had me do sports reports sometimes. So I would concentrate on the Steelers then in terms of what happened in their games, maybe the Penguins, uh, give their score and, and the Pirates. But my whole focus in sports with the network was national, and the thing I worked about worked in more than anything else was black college football. Ah. I was, doing a, I was doing a national black college football show called Black College Football Weekly. And I did that show for 29 years. It would be 30 this year, except that the black colleges and most of the, the FCS schools, they decided not to play because of COVID-19. Yeah. You see, the last, even though I left Sheridan Broadcasting in 217 when they folded, I still did that show. And that is along that kind of like moonlighting thing I took with me. You know, because when they just, discarded everything i'm like that was a popular show that i did i did that show 30 years i mean 29 years 27 i was there i did 27 years there so black college football weekly was a 30 minute weekly show where i would talk to the coaches um talk to the opposing teams put the show together and send it out on they would send it out on cd to different radio stations across the country at one point we had 45 stations carrying the show this football show you created that from scratch? No, no, no. It was it was it was the sports director who was there. Actually, he told me to come up with a show. He we did we did five in the black college football shows. Then because we could get a sponsorship with Chevrolet and some other businesses, uh, they wanted to create another sports show. So I took that five minute sports show and just stretched it out for 30 minutes and made a format for it. Ah, okay. I like that. And that show ran for again, we would like I said, I would Every football coach, Doug Williams, when he was coaching at Grandma, every, I knew yeah. all, all the coaches. Which I don't know if Ty told you, I'm a, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm on the selection committee for the Black College Football Hall of Fame. What? He never told you that? No, Ty. He's the worst friend ever. He didn't tell me any of this. So wait a second. So Eddie Robinson, all that. Like as a kid, I knew about. I got, I got tapes of Eddie Robinson. If I, if I could, uh, Arlene, I'm calling my wife for a second. No, go right ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Could you go get that picture upstairs with Eddie Robinson? I can show him real quick. Yeah, I, I, Eddie Robinson. I got tapes on Eddie Robinson, man. I got, I got tape. I got all kind of stuff. Stuff so much so, man. I got like here's the thing. A kid once told me I was training. He said, "Do you realize how much you've done?" I'm like, "No, I never really think about it because I've just been doing stuff. I never thought about it." But yeah, Eddie Robinson. You know, uh, Joe Taylor, who was just a who who was a coach at Hampton, who just got selected to be on the college football playoff committee. They, they made five new selections last week. I, I did his retirement from coaching. He, he uh, asked me to come down to MC his retirement when he coached, he was coaching at Florida A&M. So when he retired, he, he called me and said, I want you to come down and MC it for me. You know, I, you know, 
I used to do a black Ty, Ty about the black college banquets I used to go to every year. Ty used to meet all Ty when I took Ty to football banquets with me when Ty was 13. And the coaches asked him, How old are you? Because Ty was so tall. They were sizing him up to play. I don't know if you can see this picture. Oh, there you go. That's Eddie. Yeah, that's Eddie. Look how young I was. Is that you on the right? I'm the I'm the smallest guy. Oh my god, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's me, man. So that's, I don't know what year that was, but yeah, Eddie Robinson, man, would, I would, every, ask Ty about the banquets. I would take Ty to banquets, football banquets in the summer, because I would go to like to uh, kickoff lunches in the summertime. I would travel to like Virginia for the MEAC conference or to Birmingham for the SWAC conference with Eddie Robinson, people like that. I would take Ty with me. I remember one time and ask him about the story. He'll laugh about this. So we were sitting at a banquet luncheon. Ty got his meal. I got my meal. Next thing I know, I see this boy folding something on a napkin, right? It's like, like, what are you doing? He's, he was taking his tomatoes because he hates he hates tomatoes. And he folded them in a napkin for you know, for that, that he had in his lap to put them to the side. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, I don't like tomatoes. <laughs> right? So I was like, just push them to the side of your plate. But I hadn't taught him etiquette. So <laughs> <laughs> but coach's man would size him up and say, How old are you, son? And, and then he's, I'm, I'm, I'm like 12, 13, only 13. But Ty was like a, a string bean, tall at, at 13. So yeah. what they were doing, are you planning on go to college? Going to college? They were sizing him up as a as a college, you know, player. So, yeah, man, I, I would uh, like, for example, Jermaine Stevens, uh, who played for the Steelers. His son passed away this summer. Mm. But I covered him in college. Uh, just like, what's the guy who went to Philadelphia this year? Uh, played? Oh, uh, Hargrave went to South Carolina Hargrave. State. I got, I could, I, I'm going I'm to text you when I get off the air. I think I still have my phone somewhere. It might be my other phone. When Hargrave got drafted, because I, I, he was our Black College Player of the Year. When he got drafted, I told Hargrave, I mean, at our bank, he was our Black College Player of the Year. I told Hargrave, I said, look, man, I said, you're going to be drafted by the Steelers. He's like, really? I said, yeah, they're going to draft you. And guess what? I have, I, mean, I have it on tape. Because when he, he had his first mini camp, I said, remember what I told you at the banquet? He said, you did say I was going to get drafted here, didn't you? Because I just knew the Steelers have this pension with drafting players like that, but they don't draft them too high. Yep. Lay in the weeds. Like the guy they should have drafted, which they probably kicking themselves now, is the guy in Indianapolis. Oh, uh, Darius. Yeah, Darius Leonard. He went to South Carolina State too, right? Yeah, he went to South Carolina yeah, yeah. You know, they had a chance to get him, but they passed on him. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so, man, I have met so many people that – and we, we would always bring down – Pro players to at our banquets. We had a banquet every February. We would have a Black College All American Awards banquet. So, my company used to have people come in and host it. There was a guy named Frank DeFord who was a great writer for Sports Illustrated. They had uh, they were bringing. I, I hosted one year with uh, what's her name, Vivica Fox. I was hosting with her. I was, they be my I could, all kind of pictures, man. I don't know where they are. Uh, they used to have Bob Bob Costas would host it. And then one year they had me do some stuff and they said, we can host these, these events. So I became the host of those weekend events, you know, with, with my company. So yeah, we fly people, we, we fly in all the athletes. We put them at a the hotel down in, in uh, Atlanta, or we would sometimes we boys to men, when they first broke, we were down in Virginia. We were down in Richmond, Virginia for a black college, all American awards maker. I was on the bus with them. They were our entertainment. And because they were trying to get off the ground, they had just broken. They hadn't even done Motown Philly yet. Wow. I mean, that's, I mean, that's the kind of stuff that was going on. 
And again, just like I was at WILD in Boston, a lot of people came through ILD in Boston. I wasn't a guy who, I wasn't a picture guy who always wanted to take pictures with people so I can show people. And to this day, I still don't regret it, but I have met so many people I forgot, you know, that would come through Boston, that come through our station here. I met yeah. at banquets. And I just, it, it never, and again, it, it speaks to me like the, my mom said, you're no better than nobody else and nobody's better than you. So it's kind of like, it, it, it's still the humbleness in me that, okay, I'm just doing this for a short time. Yeah. So, I mean, but yeah, Ty got some stories. Well, he probably forgot. He, he got a lot of stories. Yeah. You got, man. Okay. So outside of that, uh, your HBCU segment, when it comes to championship chase, for example, uh-huh. is that another idea you had outside of? Exactly. So here's the thing. I've always said to this people, and I was, when I was, uh, I worked it, I always said to people when I got into news business and, and sports business, and I ended up working news and sports more than I did as a disc jockey. So I became a lifer at that radio network where I was, basically. Because a lot of people left, like you may have heard of Jay Harris, who does sports. And Jay Harris used to work at, at, uh, at Sheridan Broadcasting with us. And the funny thing, when I hear Jay doing sports, Jay used to do news. And he ended up at sports and doing sports. I was, the, I was the sports guy. He was the news guy on our network. Wow. And we would we were practice together different things. We say, okay, you got 60 seconds, do a 60 second news story, do, do, do five stories in 60 seconds. So off the top of your head. And then he would tell me to do five stories on the top of my head in sport. We practice like that. So when I see him, sometimes I still see a bit of myself because the style he has, he actually got some of that style for me because he learned sports from me. But people would say, how come you don't go to ESPN or try different things like that? I never desired to do that. Because I never wanted to do TV, really. TV wasn't my thing. Because TV, you have to be concerned about how you look all the time. And it's like, so TV didn't appeal to me in that sense. But Championship Chase was one of those things where I, I always tell people, if you work a job long enough, you need to keep something for yourself that at some point, you can make it work for you. Like I tell Ty, he works in project management. And I said, I don't know what you can do to make money from the people you work for. But at some point, something you're doing with that, that, that corporation or that, that company you're working with, Ty, you might be able to parlay it into something for yourself on the side. So for me, I actually gave them Championship Chase because they had the, the station at the time, the network had associated, because I had, I had Steeler passes to go to every game since 1990. Since ni- I've been going to Steeler games since 1990, you know. And I remember my first game, the owner knew I was a Cowboy fan when I first moved to Pittsburgh. So he gave me cowboy tickets and I wasn't in sports at the time, but they know I love the Cowboys so much. They, that was my first game in 88 at a pro game. I saw the Cowboys play the Steelers, you know, um, but in terms of taking things for yourself, I was okay. You keep something for yourself because you never know. So I always thought to myself at some point, I'm going to take my broadcasting skills, my communication skills I've learned and use them somewhere else. So championship chase, the local radio station didn't have an association with the Steelers, except for just report on them. So I said to them, I said, here's a show that you all could do on Sunday mornings where you can have somebody at the stadium talking about the Steelers and simulcast it and eventually take it to TV. So I gave it to a salesperson. And I remember a sales assistant saying to me, Ty, that's a great idea. I said, have they done anything with it? She said, no, nobody's talking about it. So it sat there for two years. Uh. They didn't do anything with it. 
So I said to myself, you know what? I'm still working. Let me take this show myself and see if I can sell it. Because I had to sell it. You know, I had to go out and get clients to advertise. I could pay the TV station to have it on. And that's how it happened. Because I actually tried to give it to them as a way for them to make money with clients doing a a Steeler TV show. And they didn't want it. So consequently, what happened was I took it back, snatched it back by myself, and I used their resources because all my stuff is connected to sports to help me do that show. You know, it, it was it was my kind of moonlighting thing because uh, I knew I'm saying there I, I realized that okay they're not going to give you a raise every year because they don't have to because nobody's obligated to give you a raise. You know, they're not going to be bumps in pay or you're not going to get elevated every year. So. I, I hadn't hit the ceiling, but I was to the point where this may not be here one day. So I want to have something for myself because I don't want to work here my whole life, you know, and who knows? I knew they had been having money troubles. And as it turned out in 2017, they came in and told us one day, we're out of business. We're still trying to get our severance. (laughs) (laughs) Real talk, man. These people left us high and dry with no severance. Wow. Seven years in the bank no severance. Our union is still fighting them and, you know, and they've been fighting not to pay us. So that's how cutthroat and ownership is in business and radio is too. So with that, once they got out of business radio, they came in and told us we're done, but we had like a couple of weeks to get our stuff out out of the station. We could stay there and get our stuff out. Stations were calling, where's the news? Where's the sports? I'm like, I'm taking this shit with me. So... I turned around maybe three or four months. I turned around. I waited until like December and I formed my power news radio network. And some of those clients who were used to be clients of the station, the network I used to work for that I grew up listening to as a kid, they became my clients. And that's how I formed my radio network. Wow. Again, it's taking something with you because the whole time I'm sitting there saying, okay, I know how to do this. And see, one of the things they probably could have survived in business had they and they, their partners who they they split with, they wanted to hire me to do news for them. And But I stayed with the other company because Sheridan Broadcast was made up of two different affiliates. It was a company in New York and our company in Pittsburgh. We were the broadcasters. They were the salespeople. So when they split in 19, when they split in 2017, we were property of the broadcast element in Pittsburgh. So the money portion in radio is the sales, where they go out and sell the advertising, advertisers pay the network, and that's how we get paid. Well, we were left without a sales component. But the owner still had deep pockets at the time. So he said to me, I'm going to be in business as long as I think it's feasible. The other people said to me, Ty, you should come over here with us because we got sales and we can sell news. So we're offering you a job. But the guy who offered me the job was like, we're not going to pay you no more money. It's got to be a lateral move. But we want you to create, our, we want you to create us and you to create us a news department from scratch. But for no more money. Yeah. Wow. And then he goes like, well, why don't you give me your idea? Yeah, so he had told people in New York, I had people calling me, hey man, welcome to New York. Welcome to this. Welcome, welcome to the, the network. You're going to be working with us now. I'm like, I didn't sign anything yet. Because he, he, so he said, so the guy comes back to me and says, well, I'll tell you what, you can still give me your idea and then we'll, we can, I'll sign you later. 
I'm like, okay, I ain't, I've been in this business too long. <laughs> I was like, I said, before I, Joe, I was like, before I give you this proposal, before I, before I sign with you, take a look at this proposal. So I went in and shot him a proposal for X amount of dollars. He came back to me and said, no, we can't do that. We can't, we can't do that. It's still got to be, you know, what, we're, what you're making right now, but we'll keep yours. You know, we'll keep your benefits intact. I said, well, let me give you another thing. So I went home, came back with another offer, sliced it down again. He said, no, we really can't do that. I'm not prepared to do that. But here's what I'll do for you. You go ahead and sign, and we'll consider a $5,000 bonus at the end of the year. <laughs> so I was like, and I said, you know what you just said to me? You said consider. You know what consider means? Consider yeah. means no. So at that point, I said, okay, you know what? I'll stay with the Southern Network. Consequently, they went out of business. But then another guy, he ended up getting fired because they didn't have news. <laughs> so, and you probably heard of April Ryan. She's a White House correspondent. April would call me and say, Ty, you know, why don't you just come up here and sign? You know, they say it's all about money. But I said, no, I'm not signing unless they pay me more money. But that guy eventually got fired. And he got fired, from my understanding, in essence, because he didn't have a news department. You know, so what I did and what I was going to do for him, I did for myself. I was like, I could do this news out of the house. I could do it from home. And I have not had one station call me up and question my quality of my news, you know, in terms of what we do, because we have a professional sounding package. We have professional people doing our news and sports. And it sounds like just like it used to sound when I was working on network. You know, April Ryan, you're just dropping these random. I was April's boss. I hate, I hate the term boss, but I was a supervisor. Ty didn't tell you that? Well, he wouldn't tell you because they kind of follow news. What? <laughs> I'll, send you, I'll send you pictures with me and April Ryan, me and Joy, Joy Reid, me and Gail King, and at White House correspondent dinners. And this was at Sheridan? At Sheridan. We went, Arlene, what's the last time we went to? We went to last, 216 might have been the last time we went to a White House correspondent dinner. We would go every year. Yeah, I was April's supervisor. I, I, I was her boss, but I hate I didn't like the term boss. Right. But I was her, talked to April every day, because people in our station would complain about April not filing her reports on time. And I was like, you got to understand, April's in D.C. There's a lot going on. Yeah. 2014. 2014 is our last one. Okay. Yeah. Probably good to go back now. There's a nice gap. <laughs> it's gonna happen. They're gonna start having them again now because Biden's gonna reinstate that when they when COVID ends. Yeah. Um uh, yeah, April, man. April, April and see it's a funny thing. Me and April worked in Baltimore together. When I was leaving Baltimore, April was coming in as a part-time news anchor in the same station I was working in. That's how that's how funny things happen, man. Full-fetched celebrity in the house right here, man. You know everyone. Uh, see, here's the thing, and here's the trick. Just like I always, I, I, I've always told people, never fall in love with your voice when people say you got a great voice. And you got a great voice. I can hear it. But I've been told that so many times. I was, I was on a Zoom call uh, Monday with this new association, that new HBCU Pro, Pro Sports Media Association that me and a couple of guys just formed. And so I didn't do the Zoom. I had my phone on. And they're like, okay, here's the voice now. He's talking. We need to be quiet. So you're going to hear that all the time, but you never fall in love with it. I like it. And see, in that way, what happens is you kind of keep yourself grounded. Yeah. And like, like I said, all the people I've met, I've forgotten half the people I met because a buddy of mine in Las Vegas named Ron Gerard, we call him the G-Man. He does a, a, a podcast. And like, 
he's Ron's one of my best friends. He moved to Vegas on a whim, maybe 20 years ago. He was doing stuff at Sheridan and he couldn't get a full-time job. Just like I couldn't get a full-time job in Boston. He couldn't get a full-time job in Pittsburgh, a white dude. So he, he said, I love boxing time moving to Vegas. He's still out there. One of my best friends, but his, one of his sayings is this life is all shit. Then you die. So in a nutshell, in the back of your mind, because at some point, who cares who you've met? Right. Okay. How, how, how are you to them and how are they to you? Exactly. Did you help them? Did they help you? Yeah. Well, you know, so it's kind of like that. It's, it's kind of like one of those things where if you fall in love with meeting people, you'll forget about yourself and the people who mean the most to you because none of the people I've met mean more than Arlene, Veronica, Ty, and Kelsey in my lifetime. So it's kind of, that's where it is. Yeah. You, I've been through enough, uh, not trauma, but you, you had enough downtimes to realize what actually, actually matters. It's health. It's your people you care about being healthy, happy, alive. Like there's so many things I've had in my life that I really don't like money is not like, I just have, I like to have enough money to be able to pay off debt. Literally just enough money for like, there's more coming in than going out. But other than that, I don't, miss the stuff I can't afford. Yeah, I don't I like just, I don't sweat money. Like I don't like right now, Joel, I don't want to work another nine to five. Right. Because radio is not really I never I never considered radio work, to be honest with you. And even though my company they went out of business, they didn't pay us, I would do it all over again. Because I trained so many people along the way. I picked up so many good things along the way that helped me along the way in, in terms of relationships with people, even though you're, gonna, you're only gonna get like two or three real good friends in this lifetime, especially in a business sense, working sense. So I don't, I have one real good friend who, this guy who does my news, gets up like me every morning at six o'clock, does a newscast, has never taken one penny from me. He works in the post office now, but we work together. He was a news anchor. He got fired maybe 10 years before I got out of the station before the station went went, went uh, bankrupt or whatever they did. But he ended up working in the post office, but he loved news so much. He does it, man, like clockwork. He just, because it's a habit. And see, it was like, to me, radio was like time spent. I worked there 27 years, but I don't think there's one day I worked, worked because it was like, you know, it was the people getting in there, but the job never did. Because man, my job, I'm sitting in the newsroom with three or four TVs. I'm sitting there watching sports. I'm watching sports in the morning as part of my job. That's your job. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're sitting there, April Ryan's covering the president. That's your job. So it's like, yeah, these are real jobs. And, but it's like, if you love it, man, it's like just time spent. Yeah. So right now you're running, right now you're still doing your own news network. Yeah, as a matter of fact, yeah, Power News. If you go to PowerNewsRadio.com, I don't know if Ty ever told you about that one. Nope, no, no. Power, dig up PowerNewsRadio.com. PowerNewsRadio.com. You know, what it is, it's a subscription service. I, it, my, the model's like Netflix. But what I have turned it into now is a 501c3 so that for the stations who can't pay me on a regular basis, if I get grants to do it as a public service, that'll be part of my income to pay myself. You know, and championship yeah. chase is seasonal. It's it's based on seasonal, based on football, the seasonal show. And see, my thing with championship chase, the idea behind that was to put a championship chase in different markets with the same formula. Because I don't know if I, what I'll do, I'll, I'll email you a, a 
a show. So you can take a look at one of the shows and there won't be any commercials in it. So it'd be like 20 minutes. And like, I steal some stuff from Ty, but you know, it kind of keeps us fresh. But I, I'm look, like I told him already, I'm looking at doing it virtually next year. Because right now, me and Kelsey, you met Kelsey, I think, his sister, little sister. We're producing a Black History Month special for TV in Pittsburgh. Wow. So we're going to do it. I mean, that's what I've been doing the past two days, I'm a Black History Month special, because that's extra income. Because nobody, put it this way, a couple of years ago, I was watching a Black History special on CBS. And Wayne Brady was the host. When's the last time Wayne Brady had hair? <laughs> it's been a while so they run this stuff over and over and over because what they do sometimes it, there's no real attention paid to it especially when you get to local markets like a pittsburgh market that's still yeah. watching on tv so i can go to these companies and say okay you all say diversity and inclusion matters black history matters give me 500 dollars just to run your spot i can write a show i can write a 30 minute show just like that the, the hardest part of writing the show is just getting the people to be interviewed so what I'm doing, the 30-minute show is called Pittsburgh Black History 2021, Diversity and Inclusion Matters. This will be my fourth one, I've, my fifth one I've done. I've done one I've done one with the police department a couple of years ago, where I get the police department to back to fund me to do the show on Black History. And I always do a show after, a cha I use the championship chase model where it's a 30-minute format, three different sections, you know, you write the, the body of, of it. So the thing about it is, it keeps me going like Women's History Month is next month. In March, I'll do a Women's History, History Month special. And there are a lot of businesses want to promote that they champion women causes. So what you do is, hey, here's this show, blah, blah, blah. You want to run a spot or an ad for it, 300 bucks, 500 bucks. And the show might cost me to get five airs on local TV, on the, on the Fox channel here or the, or the NBC affiliate. It might cost me total like maybe $1,100. But I might make, in total, I might make walk away with like four thousand. Nice. So that's working for myself. That sounds awesome. Yeah, I mean, because it is. It's like this, man. I just don't want to. I'm sixty now. I want to go working on nine to five. And here's what the pandemic has done. The pandemic is going to do it to a lot of people because a lot of people are not going to envision going back into their office, want to be confined the whole day, and you can't walk down the hallway to your bathroom. Yeah. Or go get a a, a piece of uh, chicken, at you know when you should be in your de at your desk. Yeah, yeah. But I'm just to the point where I love radio, man. And, and right now, I'm working for what the pandemic has shown people and COVID nineteen shown people that okay, free enterprise is where it's the highway. The highway is wide open. So if you got something, you know, then you have to try to parlay it into success that it can be. I like what you're doing. You know, this is refreshing. I um. Uh, my gripe right now, my current job, it's funny. I literally love everybody I work with. I think the company's in a good industry. Um, I just hate all the stuff with work that doesn't have to do with the work, uh, mm -hmm. it, it, all the organizational stuff you deal with and just- The politics uh, of the office, office politics. Office politics. And- that, I mean, that's the worst, that was, that was the worst part of radio was the office politics because you would have so many different personalities in there that, you know, I became a manager of people. They used to call me counselor at work because my door, the president of the company who was next to me would always tell me, tell the people at the meeting, my door is always open. But when the door is open, like he was, if April called him with an issue, he'll say, talk to Tommy. Because <laughs> I, I knew how to calm April down. 
So I mean, you become a counselor in a sense, if that's your personality. But what happens is sometimes you got to be careful because you start absorbing all the negativity from other people. Because mm-hmm. I got to the point where people used to complain about the job. I, I would tell them, I said, look, we don't, we pay you what we pay you. We don't, um, I'm not saying you need, you need to go get another job, but if you're not happy here, you have options. Right. I always tell people you have options. So you the only only person stopping you is you. So I would have people sometimes come and complain about management outside my door. I'm like, look, don't do that. Don't because you kind of using me as a co-signer by standing outside my door and talk loud about management. And now so I would tell them, look, if you want, if you're not happy here, you have an option. Go somewhere else. But those people People are the are the worst parts of a job for the most part. If they're if they're not happy, they'll complain, they'll make problems. There's some because when you look at it, Joe, people are just big children. <laughs> yeah, they are. They are. You know, it's like so. Yeah, man. So I'm like, for, so for what I'm doing now, like I told Ty to be careful because I can see he's becoming inundated with this stuff, man. He he sent me a picture. They would all just look at my equipment. I'm like, you got like four or five mics. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I was like, I said, because radio will snatch you up. Yeah. It will, it will, what you all are doing, it will snatch your time away, man. It will, it will snatch, it will snatch your time away because, and it's not because you don't want you, you're behind doing stuff. It's because it's you start to love it. It's like, yeah. okay, I can, I can make this better. I can do this now. Yeah. I can do that. And that's what I see Ty going to now. Yeah. Because I don't know for the life of me, when he says me still talking with all the different things in it. I'm like, man, you must have spent like five hours trying to put that music in there. <laughs> yeah, he's into it. He's in, he loves it. <laughs> and you know, I, uh, but but again, that's the good thing about COVID too. Now, what, how are you going to spend your time? You know. But see, if I were Ty, I would do for Ty what I did when when they were kids. I Veronica used to be on the radio a lot because I had Veronica doing saying my name. People were like, who's that little girl saying your name? And she would just say Ty Miller, and it became like a thing because people say my name that way to this day because. How they heard her say it now. Or when I had her say Kanaka Kiaka, they said, How did that little girl say Kanaka Kiaka like that? But she how does she know that? But it's like I, if I were him, I'd be training Callie right now, which I think he is. Yeah. But, yeah. but but I'd be training her right now because what I'm doing, I'm not doing the power news radio network for me right now. I'm actually doing it for Callie or someone else to take down the line. Yeah. Because this could possibly, depending on what radio turns out to be, because Sometimes things go into cycles, and even though radio is not the first thing on people's mind right now, it's never going to go away. So at some point, in some way, shape, or form, this could be really lucrative for somebody. Yeah. In terms of sustaining them at some point. So it could be Ty, it could be Callie, it could be Kelsey, it could be somewhere. It could be my brother's grandson in Alabama. Somebody could say, you could take this. Like I just sent him, I sent him some limericks, uh, some, some tongue twisters. My my uh, my little uh, nephew in Alabama, he's like ten years old. I sent him tongue twisters so he can start practicing. Because I know what the accent's like. Yeah, I know yeah. it's like. So I sent him the the tongue twisters because I was saying them to him on the phone one day. He said, "Wow, how'd you come up with this stuff?" So I said, "I'll send them to you." So my wife says, "How come you didn't email them to him?" I said, "Well, I sent them to him in the mail because it's something physically he'll pick up. Because an email you'll easily forget. Yeah, a piece of paper you got these limericks on a piece of paper." And you're like, let, let me see. So my, my brother told me one day, he said, well, those things you sent him, man, they're so funny because you sent him reading them to me one day. I said, well, that's how I started. That's how I trained. So I'm getting this ready for somebody else. So I yeah. just want to sustain it. 
because the money's not going to be in it right now, which I don't I don't really care about as long as I can just pay the bills. Uh, I'm not too happy about that. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, this is this is good. I, this, this is really good. I like the fact that you know there's nothing wrong with being honorable. Uh, you know what? I'm gonna tell you what, Joe. The reason Ty doesn't tell you that stuff because they it, it was like nothing to them. Because that's why I kind of raised them like that. Like, so what? You met this person. So what? You met that person. Yeah. It became like it was just another person you met. Yeah. He didn't. Yeah. He didn't. They never went gaga over people like that. I will say now. I will say uh, going to the White House was an eye opener because you see all kind of people. Yeah. But it still didn't dawn on me. You, you, you saw because during the Obama years, when I was going down there to the correspondent dinner, every star in TV or movies wanted to be there because Obama was there. So we saw like people I've forgotten we've seen now at, at those dinners. Yeah. Yeah. Like, okay, my wife has a picture of Russell, Russell Wilson. You know, at, at the, he was down there. That's before he met Ciara. And, and she will, she would have left me in a heartbeat for him. You know, so. <laughs> I didn't think that. I said, and I, only thing I said to Russell Wilson, he's like, I see eye to eye with this guy. He's not that tall. Yeah, he, Russell Wilson like maybe five nine. If he's five, yeah, you little dude. <laughs> if he's five nine, so yeah, man. So it's like you know, um, I would just say, don't let this consume you. But if it's your moonlight thing, you're gonna turn to love this because this is it's like it's just like you in your own little world doing radio. Yeah, yeah. and if it was time consuming, man, I still love it. You know. Because the finished product, when I when I have something on tape, like if you go back and listen to the sports when you listen to Power News Radio Network, it took me it took me about ten minutes to write that sports cast and then produce it. It's a sixty second when I send the station every morning. It took me about ten minutes to do it, and then read it, put the music underneath to it, and then do a stinger. And then when I turn on the station, South Carolina to check, I'm saying. They don't really realize I did this. I was sitting laying on the bed in the in the bedroom, just laying on the bed doing this on the side of the bed. Yeah. And it sounds like I'm in a studio. So that's what you can create. So the mechanism you got now, it could be what you're doing with this. Like I told you, I haven't heard anything like Moonlighters. I haven't heard that concept. That's a great concept, man. That's a great concept. Talking to people about how they started moonlighting the job, doing their secondary work as a moonlighting service or whatever. That's a that's a great uh radio podcast, man. Appreciate it. And so. it's and I feel like conversations like these it, they it is helps put it in perspective because yeah. you see you 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 hear stories from people who had the luxury of not having to do it. And then right. you get into it, you're like, "No, I can learn how to balance bill, bills and, you know, takes and you, you made the best point. Taking things from what I'm doing every day." Right. Pushing it towards something I can do well. That's what I did. It, it was easy. Radio was easy because that's the only thing, man. I've, I've been in radio since 19. I got into it in 1980, And that's all I've done since. I've never done anything else in terms of a job. Nice. You know, and the only other job I had, like I said, I worked at a Baskin Robbins right down Mass Ave in Cambridge. Yeah. Robbins. I worked at a bowling alley, which is right behind. Uh, right off, it was a Bishop Allen Drive right behind Mass Ave in Cambridge. And the only job I ever had a phone in Alabama was like uh, delivering phone books. I made 67 bucks and that was my bus fare to go to Boston. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> I, I didn't want my mom to pay for it. So I said, I'll, I'll get, I told I was going, but I was going to get my own money for it. I made 67 bucks 
And I was like, I was 18, like, I wonder why she let me go on a bus by myself. And she said she let me go on the bus by myself because she see, I know you can read, I know you know right from wrong, and I know you'll take care of yourself. And that's how I ended. You've done a great job. I never made, like, I'll, I'll say this, man. I never made the money I know I could have made. Say, had I gone to top 40 radio, I probably would have made more money. But it was about family, a family choice not going there. Because, yeah. but then again, I don't know where I would have ended up because I never made, maybe would not have met April Ryan. I wouldn't have met the people I met. Right. So it was just meant to be what I've done so far. Huh? Well, this is a journey, man. I appreciate your time. This is, uh, this is refreshing. This is good. This is good. It's yeah. Just- like I said, man, Ty probably, I mean, Ty's probably forgotten a lot of this stuff or, or like, I see he's on his own journey right now. I, and I, like I, I, I always, I kind of marvel and say like, Ty, I didn't think he was paying attention, but he, he's become a broadcaster. Yeah. I mean, that's what you guys have become. You guys are broadcasters. When I listen to the show. That's he's a broadcaster. And that's still talking thing, Matt. That's really good. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I appreciate it. I, yeah. Well, I, I appreciate, I appreciate you taking the time. These are some jewels I, you're dropping. I, no problem, man. Anytime, anytime. I know I, I kind of like I ramble on because that's what radio people do, but <laughs> no, 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 this is, this is, this is good. There were a lot of gems in here, but I, I just like the fact that you don't have to change who you are. You can do what you love and be a nice person while doing it. And that's the point. Yeah. That's what you, if anything, take that with you, man. You don't have to like, you don't have to like be mean to people to get ahead in this business because getting ahead in this business it, it depends on what you want for yourself in terms yeah. of, okay, just, and money, you can't take money with you. And no, it's good to have. It's definitely good to have. But if you meet enough people to make people happy, and I always consider myself a friend on the radio, or or and I, I can honestly tell you, man, I have assisted and helped so many people in this business, interns who are doing things, have done things that I probably I've forgotten I've helped them, but I have done a lot of that. That's what a lot. Of my, I've been a service guy, in that in that sense. And, and you make a good point. I, I know that if you're good to people, you never go hungry. There's people who I know who have been good people who I would right. never let go hungry, no matter what. They could always call on me. And, so and the funny thing is, I've I didn't realize how much attention they were paying to it. In some way, shape, or form, all of the kids end up. All three kids end up in this business. Ron used to work at at uh, NPR. You know, Kelsey, what she does, Kelsey. Really, a lot of what I do right now, a lot of stuff I, I know right now how to do it is because of Ty and Kelsey, because that stuff that they can do, I can't do. Yeah. So I often ask them for advice or have them show up some stuff I'm doing, you know, especially when like Ty is so creative in his graphics and things like that, man, where he doesn't think nothing of. I'm like, man, you have no idea what you have here. You have no idea what you're doing. Like the same graphic he got me for my Black History Month special last year, the TV station goes like, who came up with this? Yeah, I was like, it was my son, <laughs> and they making it to a big graphic for TV. That's and awesome. it didn't cost anything. So, but so anything I can do to help, man, let me know anytime. Because uh, championship chase this fall, like I told time, looking at diversifying, so I might be leaning on you guys for some shows. Because well, I'm gonna produce my own show this year because I've been paying the TV station to go in there and do it. Yeah, but. Kelsey is showing me and Ty is showing me. You can do this stuff for yourself and I can, I can get some costs. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you again for your time and we'll see you on the next one.